Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Your one-stop shop for horror filmmaking tips, tricks, resources, and strategies straight from the dark minds who are making it happen in horror today. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores and deconstructs the success strategies of established horror directors while summarizing the key insights and resources that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes their creative processes, strategies for getting their first films off the ground, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and much, much more. Today, we have Gigi Saul Guerrero on the show. Gigi is a Mexican-Canadian filmmaker, writer, and actress who started her career making shorts, including the luchador gore fest El Gigante, which is now streaming on Shudder. Gigi made her feature debut with the scathingly confrontational social commentary feature Culture Shock for Blumhouse as a part of their Into the Dark series, now streaming on Hulu. Today, Gigi is directing episodes of the Purge TV series, also for Blumhouse, and is attached to a new feature project about the Mexican religious icon Santa Muerte. She's one of the most exciting emerging new voices in horror, and I really enjoy talking to her about how she got started, her favorite Mexican horror movies, and as always, her recommended strategies for aspiring directors. Here, without further ado, is Gigi Saul Guerrero. It seems like you're on fire these days. Oh, thank you so much. Just, you know, it's just the beginning. So I've got to keep it up. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I read initially about your first look deal with Blumhouse, which is super cool. And I definitely want to talk about it. But um, the Santa Muerte project sounds amazing. I mean, I know it's it's very early, but what can you tell us about that project? Well, yeah, it is really early because I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm just really excited that the Screen Gems was ready and eager to tackle such a big part of our culture, which is Santa Muerte. It's like a big uh, thing, you know, it's almost hard to describe it as just with a thing. It's like it's a big part of our culture, our background. And Santa Muerte has been a religion that... um, it's not it's not been clear for a lot of people of as to what it is a lot of you know general people think it's just a religion for criminals or for lower class uh citizens and it's not like that so i'm excited to to really bring to life what i know about it and what i embrace about it and just keep it authentic you know so um but yeah like like you said it's early so there's time to continue to develop in, into an awesome feature. And the goal is to have a franchise, right? So we'll see we'll see where life takes us on that one. Very cool. Well, how do you describe to people who don't know what Santa Marte is? How do you describe it? Well, <laughs> I described it as many, many ways. When I go into depth, like when I really go into deep detail, like it's, you know, the lady of holy death. Mexican folklore and all that people kind of freak out a little bit and they're like what like what do you mean the lady of death like they they don't understand so I've kind of toned it down (laughs) and now I and now I keep it so basic I'm like you know that imagery of the Virgin Mary but with a skull that one 
And then they're like, oh, yes, I've seen that. <laughs> I just keep it as like uh, as simple as possible. But I love describing about it how it's not even a religion. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle, you know, a type of faith that it has a very vivid imagery. But it's it really is about, you know, this deity this god-esque figure that has your back mm. and there's someone that's not going to judge you you know and i always really i mean i'm not a santa muerte believer myself but when i started looking into it and appreciating it some more and uh, visiting some of the um, the altars in in mexico i was like wow like people really look at her with more than just faith. They look at her with with every inch of their bones and their blood to to have that protection. It's quite beautiful. In Mexico, you know, we look as Mexicans, we look at death so differently, you know, than most countries. We we're not afraid of it. Like we cherish it. Mm. And it's all kind of strangely connected in our folklore. Like with Day of the Dead and Santa Muerte and all that, like all, all all symbolism of death is very much, I find personally very connected and very spiritual. So it's very cool to bring that point of view to life. Um, so I'm excited. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. I mean, it sounds like such beautiful and meaningful subject matter. I mean, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. No, of course. So it sounds like you've been pretty busy with the purge TV show these days. How has that been going? Honey, please. <laughs> that was intense. That was a really intense shoot. It was just my um it was just my uh my first my first time on TV. So I really didn't know um how insanely fast paced it is, you know, and uh y- you really as a director, like for anybody listening to this and uh starting out, like you really on TV do not have time to second guess on anything. Mm. Whatever your gut is telling you is what you have to go with. So yeah. I really learned that very quickly that there's just no time for anything. So you really have to be confident in, in that your answer maybe was the wrong one, but <laughs> you have to make it work. There's no time to go back. That if you can deal with TV, you can do movies like not easily, but it just really, really, it's like boot camp for, for producers. I, I agree with that. Um, I agree with that because TV, the thing is, is like, you have to be able to tell a story and shoot it in such a quick turnaround. Um, so you have to be very, not basic, but, but very like, well, maybe basic was the right word. You have to be very smart on how to get it all done mm. in such a short amount of time. And if, you know, you, you, you're able to tell that story well, keeping it simple, concise, then, yeah, a feature is a walk in the park because you can really elaborate on it, take your time on it, really, you know, milk it all. Mm. And in TV, you can't. Right. So... That was that was quite the change for me because I was like I wanted to go big on a lot of things I wanted to uh, you know like really go crazy on certain stunts or 
certain shots or something, but you come to realize you don't have time. You really have to split it up into the right moments <laughs> of when you can do that. So I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll put it all on the gore mm. and, <laughs> and see what stays. It's always a safe so, bet. Right? The gore is always a safe bet. So I'm like, it's the purge. It's okay. I can so how were you able to approach the purge? I mean, it's a well-established uh, property. How were you able to bring your own sensibility to something that was kind of pre-existing? Um, that's a great question. I, you know, it was really, I was so blessed and so lucky to hear that they gave me such a big episode and the one that, you know, everything happens. Like, I don't want to give it anything away, but it's the, the one that, you know, within the characters, when you watch the season, it's the night you're anticipating of a lot of things to happen. And I was like, oh, my God, like they're trusting a first time TV director for this. This is so, so cool. But I feel that definitely my sensibilities in my love for horror and my love for, you know, The Purge really worked out. And it's a very strong episode. Episode nine is very strong and definitely when people watch it, they're going to be like, Oh, I see a lot of Gigi in this. Like that's awesome. Very cool. There's a lot of crazy things that some of the characters do to each other that I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and people will tell, I, I think, you know, close people to me will, will be able to tell uh, little things that I implemented. Mm. And brought to me. So it's exciting. I'm, I'm so excited because the purge, I think it's a great challenge for anybody um, directing in genre because it's not just horror. It's a lot of like very dramatic and suspenseful situations between people and, and real people. And, you know, in this holiday that we're not far off from it. Mm. So, you know, I, I really felt uh, a connection to it. And after making culture shock, uh, that movie, I just, I just really felt uh, connected to just real realistic horror that we're not far from. We're not right. far from being like that and being that savage to each other that I just really felt uh, still fresh in my mind from making culture shock and to bringing it to, to the purge. And oh, it's all awesome. handheld. So I was like, this is my jam. Oh, I that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, you said that um, people will watch it and see see your hand in it. So how do you describe your aesthetic as a director? My aesthetic, I mean, one of the things, I mean, uh, I, I, I could go so many ways with that. Oh, great. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, just in seeing your work, you seem to have a very strong visual language, you know, and um, definitely reminded me a little bit of Rob Zombie in a way who I love as a director, but, uh, inspiration. Oh yeah. When I saw, yeah. I was in film school and I had never heard of him. And, um, one of my best friends today, uh, Luke Bramley, he's the, he's been the cinematographer in a lot of my stuff. He said, you got to watch this movie. And he gave me his DVD of devil's rejects. Nice. And I was like, what is this? So I watched him like, this is the best dirtiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like I didn't even know there was such horror. I didn't, I, I've never seen something so grimy and yeah. so dirty and visceral. 
And I find my aesthetic, I've, I've really wanted to capture that in everything I've made. I don't want the characters to be saying too much. I just want visually to know what is going on. And I, I find if you can almost feel the sweat and the smell and just the atmosphere where the characters are at, I'm doing, I'm doing my signature, like my job, you know? And, yeah. Um, so I really find myself in love with not just handheld and keeping it claustrophobic and grimy, uh, like a lot of my work is, but I really want the frame to speak for itself mm. um, without having it explained. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, um, that translated in, in the purge uh, episode I did. Um, and I, and I, and I know there's a couple scenes people are going to be like, Oh yeah, I see her right there. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I mean, I, I, there's still a lot of room for me to grow and continue to try out new things. And I mean, I definitely did that in, in culture shock when I filmed, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's yep. a section. Okay. Well, the, the whole section when they enter Cape joy, like the Pleasantville, it doesn't look like whatsoever anything I've ever made in my life. Right. But it was really cool to, to just bring a different aesthetic, like a different point of view um, and challenge myself. I mean, with an aesthetic as strong as yours, how do you, how do you work with your DP? I'm really curious about your process for, for getting that those visuals across. I mean, do you make lookbooks? Do you guys sit and watch movies, certain movies together? Like how do you work with your DP to get across such a strong look? We 100%. Like, I mean, I've been working with Luke, Luke Bramley, who I just brought up. He, he introduced me Rob Zombie and all the great things of horror. Him and I started out by just watching movies together and just really picking out scenes or moments of films that we like. And we were in film school together. So we were both kind of growing and learning, you know, at the same time. And we were the only horror freaks in the class. <laughs> so it was like, uh, it was really nice to learn from each other what we like mm. and, and slowly, you know, started developing um, doing almost like, uh, we started, <laughs> this is, this is kind of like my, my film student days, but we would use comic life a lot, which is this really not so great, great of an app. And we would storyboard, like take pictures with our phones and download the, the lenses on our phones to have the different sizes of the frame. That's cool. We would, we would just do the storyboards with ourselves or with my family just shady in the house, like, and we would put it on comic life and that's how we would print out our storyboards. That's cool. Like, it's just with terrible pictures of ourselves, but it actually worked every single time. And we would put that right beside uh, screenshots of movies that were very similar to what we were going for. And even though our picture looks shitty, we could put it beside the the really good screen capture of that movie. And it looked identical in a way where it was the same frame size. It was the same, you know, uh, depth of field or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you could tell immediately we were really 
trying to go for bigger things. And right. we, we did that with every single short film of mine, every single one that we did together. And then for Culture Shock, it was the first time that I worked with a new DP because I had to move to LA for it and leave my team in Vancouver behind. Um, so I was a little nervous. I was like, fuck, like I only know my one way with Luke. <laughs> right? right. And cool enough, Byron, uh, the cinematographer and culture dog, he was so cool. And he was totally into that same vibe. He showed up with his lookbook and he had the same photos I took from Google. Wow. My lookbook. <laughs> we, yeah, we had the same movies. Broken down, we looked like two little kindergarten children trading books. <laughs> like, exactly what our first meeting was like, and and then it just, it was such an easy process. It was just definitely the way I was so used to doing it, just giving each other movies to watch. I gave him a good three to just watch and learn from. Like he watched Babel, he watched. Um, Ah, what was the name? Sin Nombre, like a, a few border crossing films mm-hmm. that he hadn't seen. And I'm like, this is what the first half of the movie is going to look like. Watch these. And he did, came back with the same idea with the references he liked, the screenshots he liked. And we we just went from there. It's 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 a really fun process because you really describe to each other how you want it to look and you show each other the references every day mm-hmm. and and uh one thing i love to do is actually print the references on nice paper and just have them on set with me every day and just point and be like right this is the look we're going for this one mm-hmm. that's and smart just have it on you yeah it's really fun. yeah that's awesome so you were mentioning shorts so you've made a number of shorts in your career and there's a lot of directors who have different thoughts on shorts. Some say that it's very worthwhile to do shorts. Other directors don't do shorts and they're not a fan of doing them. But in your experience, do you recommend that aspiring filmmakers make shorts? I mean, what have, what have you gained from doing the shorts that you've done? Oh, man. I think shorts are the shit. I think shorts <laughs> are the best, like the best way to learn the craft fast and get better at it. Because shorts... Uh, even though I made 18, yeah, it's too many. I think that's a little too much, but you just got to make shorts until, you know, it's time. I think everything happens for a reason. And every single short we made, um, and I directed, we, we got better as a team. We got fast. I got my training on the shorts. And I think that's why I was able to do culture shock and the purge. Because I knew how to do things so quick and so on the fly and be very, very economical with the budgets I was given. Because Blumhouse is very smart in sticking to a lower budget and making great stuff and finishing stuff. Yeah. And definitely you need to be a director that understands how to do that. And Mm -hmm. coming from the indie world, it was, damn, like Shorts was my film school, 100%. And um, I highly recommend them. They they discipline you. They discipline you as much as a film school would. Because I know so many people that um, indie filmmakers that get so excited, film the short, start editing, 
and they leave it halfway because they're discouraged already. Mm. You know, or, or even make it halfway through the shoot, or not even they make it halfway through the script. So I think if you can discipline your sh- yourself to finish a short film, you're on the right track to success, right. in my opinion. So you know, you you just can't be afraid of failure. And shorts will teach you how to not be scared. Uh In this business, you can't be afraid of failure in any capacity. You have to gain it as a tool to get better every single time. Yeah. So whether it's, you know, two short films or something like that, like Fetty, who did the the amazing remake of Evil Dead. Oh, I love that. Things. Or maybe you're like me, you got to do 18. So be it. You know, it, it'll take you to where you need to be, but you have to stay in it. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. What was the short that Fetty did that got him evil dead? I think it was called Panic Attack or something. It was the big robots that were attacking was, a city. Yeah, it was like giant robots on a city. I was like, damn, well, heck, great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's encouraging. Yeah. Well, now he's apparently doing the next Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I heard he's producing it. I don't know if he's directing it, but he's because, I mean, when you see what he was able to do with Evil Dead, it was a remake that didn't feel like a remake, which is what I, it made me excited about the because usually I don't like the idea of horror remakes. But in this case, it, it brought it to such a different level. I mean, he's a very exciting filmmaker. Dude, he it was sick. Yeah, I loved I really liked that one. It was like a, a total reimagining and it was dark. Yeah. It was dark. It wasn't funny at all. Like the first one, like, no. it was but it was yeah. just as crazy. I actually just got the uncut version, which is like another half hour longer. I haven't watched it yet, but it's one of my favorite horror movies of the past 10 years. So there's a story I really love about um, when you were making M for Matador, you were able to get a farm by paying a, the guy who owned the farm with case, six cases of beer. And I feel like that speaks to the kind of filmmaker ethos that directors need to have is just finding a way on the fly to do things. And it doesn't always have to be by the book. But what was um, what was the whole process like for making M is for Matador? I mean, it sounds like I, I personally really enjoy the ABCs of death, although some of them are way too intense, but <laughs> I'm a big fan. No, that was fun. I mean, I was still in school, I think, when that, that happened. And I remembered we had done another little competition here locally with a different short film, and we won second place, so we got a little bit of cash. And then this ABC's a death thing, I saw it online and I'm like, we should put our cash towards this. And we did. I think we won a thousand dollars at this little local thing. And (laughs) that's how much we made MS from Matador for it was a thousand bucks. Whoa, that costs a thousand bucks? That's it. Yeah. Whoa. I didn't realize that with ABCs of death, you had to self-finance it. I thought that like the producers were handing people money to make these shorts, but that was not the case. No, 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 because it was to, um, because it was for competing to be in it. Got so it. I was one of the filmmakers competing to be in the anthology. Got um, it. yeah. So that was a lot of fun. So I mean, that's the thing. Like, you kind of just have to go with what you have access to. In this case, uh, my producer, he knew this farm. He knew that they were shoot. Spielberg was shooting that farm. <laughs> they were hmm. shooting. Ah, uh, 
fuck, I forget the name of the movie, but they were shooting at that farm. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure it's a really cool farm and I'm sure we can get it. And we went and it was so like, there was animals and goats everywhere. And the old man was so nice. And he was a little skeptical at first, like these group of young people are just wanting to shoot at his farm. But as soon as we offered him beer and food, he was all in. Yeah, <laughs> like he was a total like <laughs> farmer, you know, and like it was so much fun. We just had to like the experience was cool because we're doing this with nothing, like just a few of us. We're getting our shoes disgusted in like every kind of poop and mud <laughs> and and I remember a little baby goat escaped the fence and got into the set and he just tore all our lights and hit everything. Oh shit. It was like we were chasing that baby goat for like 20 minutes. It was <laughs> it was quite making Matador was quite the trip. And and that little short like got us just a little bit more of a more attention and like it it really led us to uh, more uh, to other projects, like to um, be in uh, this anthology called Mexico Barbaro, mm-hmm. Netflix. And we're like, damn, like, and that's just all because social media is so strong. You never know who's watching. Yeah. And, and that's how we got contacted. So that's what I mean. Like, if you can make shorts, heck, just do them, just do them and get better at them. Like I look at back at all these shorts I did, like Matt the door, and I'm like, oh my god, these are these are hilarious because I was <laughs> taking them so seriously. But heck, each thing gets better. You're learning, so right. I can't still can't believe you made that for a thousand dollars. It looked amazing. I mean, it didn't look low budget. I mean, how were you able to make it look so good? I guess. I mean, was that all your? I mean, it didn't look cheap at all. How were you able to make it look? More expensive than a thousand dollars. Committed people, committed people. Yeah, <laughs> but it was that's on awesome. My little DSLR. It was on our 60D, like on our tiny little camera. It was just we we were just very careful on on how to shoot certain things, but it wasn't with much. It really wasn't. That's really cool. So you're also a teacher, right? Yeah, you're catching me. At my work right now. <laughs> as, a, as a director with hands-on experience, what are some of the things that you teach your students that are not typically taught in film school? Because you have real experience. Yeah, no, like I feel very, very lucky to be an instructor here because I'm pulling up literally the stuff that's gotten me work. Like I'm showing these students my lookbooks, my pitches, my documents, so they see exactly what worked. Mm. And I even, you know, I, I compared to them my Indiegogo failure and I compare my Kickstarter success and I, I really show them real life things that I went through um, that, you, I, I, you know, most teachers wouldn't have right. <laughs> even shown like emails that I fucked up on that I'm like, never do this. You see this email and I would put it on the big screen. I'm like, this is why I didn't get that job. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was the story behind that email? Oh, man. It was pretty much actually funny enough. I could totally share this story. It was one of my first emails to Blumhouse. I wasn't even close to them yet. And I was just so eager 
and wanting them to read my scripts and my stuff, but it was all shit. Like I sent the crappiest of crap and I didn't even like look at my spelling errors. I just was so eager that I had a contact and I just went for it. The script wasn't good. You know, it was just that kind of stuff. And me emailing back being like, did you read it? Can you read it? Mm. Are we going to talk being a little too (laughs) right? And I should, and I showed them, I'm like, never do this. Never. Right. You know, and just stuff like that, that I'm, that I could tell they get really inspired and that inspires me because I was just there and it's a very rewarding job teaching. I, I really love it. And, and it's cool because the, the school let me redo the curriculum for my term and I, I base it all on horror and violence. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, so we're like breaking down like all the things from from Carrie in the seventies to The Shining to even like non horror like Eastern Promises or I love that one. Super old men and anything like dark and violent. There, everyone's like, "Oh, Gigi's class is awesome." <laughs> or, I have, or I have so many students walking out because I always warn them before a videotape. Or, uh, or before a clip mm. and uh and i love making fun of them being like boo you're a wimp <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny they gotta pretty get ready for your class that's great so um what can you tell me about your video game oh man that that was quite the roller coaster i see i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Because Japan, Capcom Japan just kind of took over Capcom Vancouver. So, I mean, it's kind of like, I I don't know what they'll do. I, I, I did my job, you mm-hmm. know, I did the game and delivered and and now I'm just waiting <laughs> yeah. to see what they do. So, it, it, that, working in the video game business was a total eye-opener of how intense intense and like uh different it is than any other entertainment industry i've worked on it's very it's very corporate it's very by the book it really relies on every single person that is you know making one little inch of animation or anything on that mm-hmm. game anything goes wrong it trickles down all the way to you to the writer and you got to change it for them mm-hmm. you know i'm like on set Everybody's going to make it work for that director. It's not like that in video games at all. It's, it's, yeah, it was, a, it was quite the process. So, I mean, I hope I see the game. I hope something's out of it. It's kind of out of my hands now. Yeah. So. Are you in a place where you can talk about the game or is that all confidential still? Totally still confidential. Okay. So when you were growing up and developing a love for horror, were there any kind of formidable movies that set you on the path and made you think this is what I want to do for a living? Oh yeah, definitely. I was, I will never forget this moment. I started getting into horror as a child because I wasn't allowed to watch horror. <laughs> but I, didn't, I didn't know it was something I would do. I just liked it. It was yeah. just like a, a rebellious thing. Forbidden fruit is always sweeter. Right. Yeah. And growing up, I, I was getting into acting and I was in theater and I just loved, loved making people laugh. And I I knew I was going to be 
some like Broadway star. Like that, that was like <laughs> what I was thinking of going happen. Once you knew that you wanted to make films, what was some of the best advice that was given to you when you were just getting started? Oh man, that's a good one. I've gotten a lot of advice. Lots of advice. Um, yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of bad advice out there, and there's a lot of people who are telling aspiring filmmakers, oh, it's so hard, and there's a good chance you're not going to make it. And just, I, there's just so much shit advice that's given to people. So, what was some of the good advice that, that you were given? The advice I always got was story, 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 story. If you can tell the story, um, like an elevator pitch, or you can explain the story just by talking about it and you have them engaged, you have a good story. Right. You are a storyteller. Um, uh, when I met Eli Roth in person, I think I must've been like 25 and I was still in school. He was so kind to me and he gave me some of the best advice still today. I always text him for help. Like he's been a wonderful friend and mentor to myself um, starting out. And he, he always just had great advice and like with visual references and the music and what movies to watch and just very much all about stay in it and go for it. Like he, mm. he would be like, shut the fuck up and just do it. Like stop complaining and just do it. Right. Um, and, and fuck, it's true. It worked. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and you know, he, a lot of the advice he gave me was like, if you're not ready for something, don't, don't do it. But mm-hmm. if you are eager for something, do it, mm-hmm. you know, like always find that difference in that because this business gets pretty cool and finding even the people to represent you can be really hard and like finding friends and like people to trust. So definitely, you know, one of the things was, that he taught me was like, once you connect with people really stick with them because Mm -hmm. they will take care of you and you will take care of them back. Um, but you have to be always looking out for yourself. Always. Yeah. But, uh, I mean the best advice, I, I don't know who told me this one, but the never be afraid of failure was still to this day is the best thing that I always look back at. Because you you just can't, or this industry will eat you alive. Yeah. If you if you worry so much about it, it's just filmmaking. You have to look at it like that. Because we, as artists, as you know, we put our every inch of our body and soul and heart into our projects. That you know, some a lot of filmmakers get depressed after making a film, get get sick, or like whatever, because we put everything in it everything yeah we just have to always remember to put ourselves forward what's the most ideal project for you what do you really want to do next in horror i mean my dream project and it's still the same one is to make el gigante the feature i gotta make that i gotta i have to i don't care what anybody says i have this fight with my agent all the time he's like no that short is old you can't i'm like no (laughs) <laughs> that's gonna live forever and it's like a funny joke between us that's cool and he's like no 
you will make a Marvel movie first. I'm like, no, I want to make Gigante. I need to make that feature or I will never live with myself. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, that feature was, I mean, that, that short was great. It had such a strong visual to it. It looked unbelievable. I, I would love to see a, a full length. Right? We need that luchador to be the next villain. Like he's got to hang out with Freddy, Michael, and he's got to be everyone's new friend. No, I can <laughs> see it. Right? We need a border town, Bill. What's up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Rob Zombie was there. He had a luchador script that he was supposed to make, and it was based on a comic book. And there's they did some concept art, and it looked unfucking believable It looked insane. But somehow, he, never, he was never able to get it done. Damn it. Yeah. I would so pay to see that. I know. It would be like- great. So for people who are new to Mexican horror – what are some of your go-to movies that, that people should see if they haven't seen much Mexican horror movies? Oh, man. I, you, you know what you just reminded me of? I made a video with a friend of the top five Mexican horrors to watch. I oh, yeah? Repost, I should repost that. Oh, man. I, yeah, I, didn't, I never didn't see that. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-upload it. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe next week for okay. Halloween. It's All a right. good video. It's a good video. No. <laughs> I talk about five movies, and they're all very different, different times. Um, I talk about one that's called Santa Sangre. Santa Sangre is really good. I talk about Alucarda. And then the original of of We Are What We Are, the Mexican one. Hmm. In, In Spanish, it was called... Somos lo que hay, but if if you just put we are what we are, um, it's a great it. That's a good original film. It's gnarly. And then I talk about ah, what's the fourth one? I can't remember. But <laughs> I talk. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This one is fucked up. It's it's called We Are the Flesh. Mm. That shit is nasty, man. I don't even know if it's good. But it traumatized me. Wow. Traumatized me. And the fifth one, okay, yeah, so we are what we are. We are the flesh. And the last one is called atroz, which means atrocious. So you can only imagine, (laughs) you can only imagine what that one is. But that one is like a total take. It's by a guy named Lex Ortega. He's He's a crazy, crazy cool guy, but he he makes all his stuff very real. And Atroz focuses on snuff films. So he shot it like a snuff movie in certain scenes. So it's really hard to know or no, you know, it's fake, but it's really hard to tell yourself it's fake. Right. Because that atrocious (laughs) yeah it's always so much harder to watch movies that look like they're handheld or hand shot with video cameras and whatnot i mean there's something your mind doesn't realize that it's a movie or your your brain does or part of your brain thinks it's real it just processes as real computes as reality which is very startling totally so yeah atroz is the most still to this day the movie that's messed me up the most uh, he was very kind to me and let me be one of the first people to watch it. I oh, was that's in great. Mexico City. I was in Mexico City at the time, and 
And I was there with my my group, my team of Vancouver people. And he was like, hey, I just finished uh, sound mixing. Do you guys want to watch the playback? We're like, yeah, sure. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I nearly died. Like, I have to ask him to stop it because I couldn't watch it. Whoa. I couldn't watch it. Did it's you ever finish bad. it? I did. I was being a good friend. Wow. But I... Uh, I told him, dude, you can't do this to me. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot. Oh, wow. So I, I'm going to post that video again. I'm cool. totally going to post that. Yeah, now I'm video. intrigued. Now I definitely want to see that movie. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so when it comes to filmmaking and directing, there's there's a lot of books out there about filmmaking and writing and directing and all of that. And a lot of it is written by people who have never actually done it. So there's a lot of just bullshit in that whole industry of books but were there any resources or books that were particularly helpful for you either on you know the business of filmmaking or directing or writing or anything totally the book i mean everybody talks about it but uh rebel without a rebel without what, what was rebel it without called? a crew yeah rebel without a crew the rodriguez book i read that and that is an amazing book like that book made me maybe it didn't give me so many tools on what to do but it gave me the the amount of inspiration I needed to not give up. Um, one that I can't recommend enough that helped me with my writing is called um, Save the Cat. Right. It's called Save the Cat. And that book is amazing. It's an easy read, but that book is so legit about writing. So any writer, directors or writers out there, get Save the Cat. It's gonna make you a better, better writer. Okay, now. great. Yeah. Cool. So I'm just here in Vancouver, back to the desk. <laughs> it's great. Like I was just like in LA making culture shock and like going to all these like red carpet things and festivals and the perch. And then I get home and I'm back at my nine to five job. Isn't that crazy? I find that so crazy. <laughs> but you have so much to give your your students, which I think is amazing. I mean, you're doing all this stuff, and they get to in real time. They get to learn from the things that you're doing, like right now, which is extraordinary. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy in a way that it's cool because I feel like I am giving back in a way. I am going back to just being a normal person, you know, not just some crazy person on set. Because funny, I was going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was a crazy, crazy lady. <laughs> like, but no, it's nice. It's nice to be home. So let's chat again. Definitely. We got a lot of fun stories to share. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's definitely do it again soon. Awesome. Great. Thank you again. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Go. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Great conversation with Gigi. So here are my key takeaways from this conversation with Gigi Guerrero for aspiring horror filmmakers. Number one, shorts are the shit. A lot of filmmakers praise the value of shorts for their priceless educational value. Gigi, who's done 18 shorts, 
claims that they are the best way to learn the craft of filmmaking fast. As simple as it may seem, each short incrementally gets you more familiar with the craft of filmmaking, and it does this on a condensed timeline. Furthermore, shorts are also a way for first-time directors to purge their mistakes and amateur habits in a low-risk environment, which is also very important too. Doing shorts also offers you the opportunity to build relationships with a crew that you can move on to bigger projects with. Number two, finish what you start. Gigi mentions that the caveat to the importance of shorts is the importance of having enough discipline to finish them. Frequently, filmmakers have multiple projects in varying stages of production, but nothing to their name that is completed. This is not great for your career because people need to see evidence that you can finish something. Through finishing her 18 shorts, Gigi learned invaluable lessons about filmmaking while demonstrating her style, voice, vision, and ability to finish what she started. Now she's working with Blumhouse. Number three, go with your gut. TV sets are notoriously grueling production experiences because of the breakneck pace and relentless shooting schedules, but a lot of producers and directors who have worked on TV sets credit the experience with giving them a fast-acting production rhythm which required them to have much more trust in their own intuition. Since there's next to no room for second-guessing anything on such a short timeline. Gigi's work on the Purge TV series taught her exactly this, and she credits it as a very valuable experience for her as a director's. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with your friends, family, and colleagues on social media. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor, also on Twitter at the exact same handle, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Thank you.